0: X-ray. Welcome to The Local, your daily dose of hometown news and democracy. I'm Jefferson Smith from Portland, Oregon. It is Tuesday, July 14th. If this is your first time listening or you want to just be able to follow along, here's how it's organized. We start with a bit of a look back, today, back in the day, followed by a rundown of the biggest local stories, the quick six. Then we have a central story, usually original journalism by X Ray or a partner, followed by a bit of a longer form interview. We organize it in this way, starting with that quick six, so that if you have less than 10 minutes, you can still get your daily news fix, you can still stay informed. We highlight original reporting, usually in the central story, to add a bit to the overall scope of information in our community we include the longer form interview because one of our frustrations is the paucity and decline of in-depth local news. Not only is the Oregonian shrunk so much and the weekly has gone to mostly online, but take TV news. In a 30-minute evening news broadcast, once you take out commercials, weather, sports, crime, and traffic, you're left with about three or four minutes. That's not even enough for the quick six. So if you want to spend 30 minutes on the local news, we think you want more and democracy needs you to get more than just 3 or 4 minutes of critical news plus 26 minutes of commercial weather, sports, crime, and traffic. We do the today back in the day because of a flaw in the word news. It covers what's new. It can often fail to engage our brains in stuff that isn't as fresh, didn't just happen, but is hugely important. The overall narrative thread of where we are as a community, understanding what happened before. It's a reminder to us that we try to do the new and we have to try to do the important. We do try to make it engaging enough that we can help keep Portland informed and listen to the news while you're getting ready in the morning, commuting, exercising, gardening, walking the dog. And we're a nonprofit. So while we do need support and we'd welcome advertising, we aren't doing this for commerce. We are in it for democracy. And democracy requires an informed, engaged electorate. That's you. You're the coalition of the benevolently irrational, the good people doing good things for no good reason. And without you, democracy doesn't stand a chance. But with you, it does, and you're priceless. Definition of priceless, worth a lot, not for sale. X-Ray. Today, back in the day, July 14, 1937, Julius Meyer, Oregon's only elected independent governor, died. He was governor during the darkest years of the Great Depression. If the last name sounds familiar... It's because his dad started Meyer and Frank. Julius Meyer was born in Portland to German immigrants of Jewish ancestry. Meyer served for just one term, 1931 to 1935. Among his accomplishments, establishing the OLCC, the Oregon Liquor Control Commission, after Prohibition ended. He founded the Oregon State Police, helped create a State Board of Agriculture. Two things he tried to do, and many a politician in Oregon have broken their pick on both. He tried to establish a sales tax, and he tried to have public power. That said, federal legislation was passed in 1933, authorizing the public development of the Bonneville and Grand Coulee Dams. And a happy 50th birthday to local musician Thomas Lauderdale. If you have a happy birthday or a shout-out, you can send us an email or even an audio file. Just send it to the local at xray.fm. And speaking of music, today on The Local, we're going to be talking some about music. It's a special episode today. We'll start with your Quick 6 news headlines. Katie Watkins is going to drop in to share info about an upcoming drive-in live show, Pavement. We'll talk about it. And we'll have an interview with Cervante Pope from partner station The Numbers with Corey Glover from the band Living Color. X-Ray. And first up, it is today's Quick 6 local rundown. Oregonians are now required to wear masks outdoors if they can't maintain six feet of distance. Stay back! Governor Kate Brown announced the updated face covering requirement yesterday. COVID-19 cases are continuing to rise, and so the governor on Monday also announced a statewide limit of 10 people in indoor social gatherings. As we know, indoor social gatherings are how a lot of the transmission is happening. The governor's office said those limits would not apply to businesses or worship services. Both of those mandates are set to take effect tomorrow, on Wednesday. Brown said repeatedly on Monday that she was not going to, and I'm quoting, set up the party police, instead was urging Oregonians to voluntarily abide by the guidelines. Here's more quote, the proof here will be in the numbers. Either people will adhere to the requirement or I will be forced to take more restrictive measures, end quote. In just the past week, 2,000 people in Oregon have been diagnosed with the coronavirus. That's the largest spike in new cases the state has seen in any seven-day period. So let's look a little bit more at the numbers. Your daily dose of data. On Monday, 280 new cases. We've now had 12,438 people diagnosed with the virus in Oregon, and those numbers last week? That was more than the entire month of May. Half of all cases are from people under the age of 40, and one-third of all cases are from people under the age of 30. Recent workplace outbreaks, the state reported an outbreak of 20 cases related to Shears Foods, a processing plant in Umatilla County, the state reported there was an investigation June 26, but the initial case count was below the five-case threshold for public disclosure. At least 120 people in custody and 21 staff the Snake River Correctional Institution in Ontario have been infected. The prison has more than 2,700 inmates. All of them are now being quarantined. Recent virus transmission models estimate that the state could see anywhere from 1,100 to 7,300 new cases per day by the end of July. We've been setting weekly records we've been doing 250 to 400 per day state health officials are blaming the increased spread principally on three things. Workplace outbreaks, places like the food processing plant, transmission in nursing homes and similar facilities, and social gatherings like house parties. Brown's new rules impact only that last category. What are you, bored of Zoom calls? You could use Google Meets or Hangout or whatever it is now. There's others. If you have your favorite app, for doing video conference calls, feel free to email the local at x-ray.fm. I think there's more than those three. Those are just the ones I've used. Meanwhile, stay back. What are these people doing? We did all that work. We did all that work to keep our case count low. Now we're going out having parties. People are getting sick. Come on. That's why the Lord put a camera and an embedded microphone in your laptop so you don't have to go outside and see anybody. You could just see them two-dimensional style the way God got intended right on that screen. OLCC, started by Julius Meyer, remember, Oregon's only independent governor back in the early 30s, has now found nine restaurants, roughly, who have violated social distancing and mask rules and passed that along to OSHA. As for the upcoming school year, according to the governor, we don't yet have specifics, but she did suggest that decisions on whether children could return to school might be made on a district-by-district basis. Washington State is now well past 40,000 diagnoses and over 1,400 deaths. There have been 4,751 people hospitalized in Washington State. Here's what you need to know about what's happening with the Oregon Employment Department. A lawsuit filed last week on behalf of 13 Oregonians seeks a series of reforms at the OED, at the Employment Department, in hopes to address months of unpaid benefits and to help claimants who don't speak English. Separately, the union representing the department's claims processors said Monday the state will allow at least 20 workers to work from home. That pilot program follows a coronavirus outbreak last week that infected five workers in the department's Gresham office. That outbreak prompted the office to close, which would slow progress on dealing with the unemployment claims. And also, state lawmakers are scheduled to vote today on a proposal to make payments of $500 to those yet to receive the unemployment benefits. Many Oregonians have been waiting for months. The move would set aside $35 million in federal relief funds. The emergency board of the legislature is meeting today, and they're going to dole out some money. And we will find out if the venues get some money, such as the independent venues we've been talking about. Back to the Employment Department, they say they've paid $2.7 billion in claims since the coronavirus outbreak hit in March. The department also says it has effectively cleared its backlog of regular jobless claims. We're still dealing with those PUA claims. More than 60,000 self-employed workers newly eligible for benefits have yet to be paid. The state said it'll be nearly a month before it clears that backlog, and it's behind schedule so far in meeting even that target date. There's a new law in town. It bars discrimination against people with disabilities. Hospitals have been preventing visitors in an effort to curtail the spread of the virus. Those policies mean people in need of support have not been allowed to have guardians with them in the hospital. A bill signed by the governor this week, Senate Bill 1606, will change that. The bill requires hospitals to let a guardian or advocate be in the hospital with those who need the support. Senator Sarah Gelser sponsored the bill so that there are civil rights protections for people who have disabilities in medical settings and that those should not go away in the midst of a pandemic. Plans to reopen a burgerville in northeast Portland stalled on Monday as workers were striking over conditions related to the coronavirus. It does look like both sides are nearing an agreement. The location on Northeast 82nd and Gleason has been closed since July 7th when a worker tested positive for COVID-19. The store had planned to reopen last Friday, but workers decided to strike over the health and safety conditions. Yesterday, the Burgerville Workers Union demanded the chain screen workers for COVID-19 before returning to work or give paid leave to isolate. Otherwise, the union said the company risks bringing staff back who might be infected. Burgerville has offered to pay for workers' tests and told workers where they can get tested, but a spokesperson said they cannot explicitly force the workers to get tested. That said, according to the EEOC, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, employers can, in fact, require COVID-19 testing. In the Americans' Disabilities Act, the ADA, allows medical testing to be required as long as the tests are, and I am quoting, job-related and consistent with business necessity. That said, Burgerville said the county health department recommended employers don't screen in order to preserve testing supplies. The company does hope to reopen the location later today. Well, it's cleanup time. The Oregon DEQ is going to begin the downtown Portland River cleanup. The Department of Environmental Quality and Northwest Natural are going to remove about 5,000 cubic yards of contaminated sediment and tar-like material at the former Portland gas manufacturing site. It's the last big legacy contamination from gas manufacturing from about 170 years ago up to about 100 years ago, up to about the early 1900s. When it was operating, Portland Gas Manufacturing made gas from coal, mixed water, and oil to fuel the first street lamps in downtown Portland. The cleanup will have two parts. They'll take out the contaminated stuff and they'll place over it a blanket of clean materials like sand and gravel and activated carbon. And then they'll scrub it with toothbrushes and Brillo pads. No, no toothbrushes or Brillo pads. Wanted to make sure you're paying attention. The activated carbon... The sand, the gravel, that stuff's real. During that DEQ cleanup, about 800 feet of the Tom McCall Waterfront Park walkway adjacent to the seawall will be fenced off to protect the public from construction underway. So when you see the fencing and someone asks, what's that fencing for? You'll be able to say, well, you see, that's for the cleanup of the Portland gas manufacturing from the coal and oil used to fuel the first street lamps in downtown Portland. Not to be confused with the Portland Superfund site, that's being coordinated with the feds. And by the way, those street lamps, they were out of commission by the time Julius Meyer was the only independent governor of Oregon. His daddy started Meyer and Frank. See, the whole thing about the local is you listen to this stuff, you're going to know your town, you're able to brag it to your friends. But not in social parties. Instead, just on Zoom calls or Google Meets and stuff like that. Stay back. And the good news is... It's marionberry season. They're called the Cabernet of Blackberries, and they're one of Oregon's signature fruits. The marionberry, known for their flavor and aroma, are named for Marion County. They account for half of all blackberries grown in Oregon. Where did the marionberry come from? It was bred in 1945 by an Oregon State University scientist named George F. Waldo. And where's Waldo now? Well, he will be always remembered for creating the Marionberry. Back in 2014, it produced nearly $20 million of farm gate value. And Oregon's berry industry has become worth well over $100 million. And this is the heart of Marionberry season, folks. It runs through the end of July. If you get some Marion Berries at fruit stands or a U-Pick spot, OSU experts say you should eat, freeze, or use them right away. And that's today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. X-Ray.
1: First up we have Katie Watkins the marketing PR and brand manager of the Jupiter Hotel and the producing artistic director of Risk Reward Festival. Katie is with us to discuss the Drive in Event Pavement happening this Saturday. Katie and Jefferson cover the what, when and how of this unique music festival and why live music moves us more than Netflix.
0: On Friday you've got a show coming up that is trying to on figure
2: Saturday.
0: out Oh, excuse me. Why did I say Friday? I know it's on Saturday. <laughs> on Saturday.
2: We we're,
0: we're going to start this all over again. Okay. Katie Watkins <laughs> Katie Watkins, you have a show coming up on Saturday that is trying to figure out how to maintain a vibrant artistic culture in our town without giving everybody cholera. Tell us what's happening. Correct.
2: Oh man. So that's exactly what we're trying to do. It's uh it's called pavement a pop-up Parking lot drive in performance. Uh, we're basically running off of a kind of in inspired by drive in movie theaters uh, method of, of keeping live art and live performance available for the public and for the artists in a way that's safe and that keeps people distant. And therefore, we're going to have, God, we have seven, eight artists that are performing on Saturday twice. There's two different shows. Um, it'll be the same show each time at 7 and 9 o'clock. And, yeah, they're going to perform. The, the audience is going to be kind of a theater in the round, backing into car spaces and sort of making a stage for artists while staying in their car. And then we're very lucky to have you all at X-Ray involved uh, to, to get the radio playing in their car like you do at the drive-in theater
0: we're looking forward to it. I think it's really fun. By the way, Katie Watkins who we're talking to is the uh, PR marketing and brand manager for the Jupiter Hotel and the producing yeah. artistic director of the Risk Reward Festival. Uh, what's been yeah. the what was the impetus of this? How did the conversation start? Obviously the motivation was hey, let's keep art going and the context and even community connection going in the context of COVID-19. But what how did get the discussions get going?
2: sure so we actually were um talking to some friends in seattle who uh there's a dance company called landforms dance and they performed in our festival last year and they started to do a sort of scavenger hunt performance where they i mean, it was really technically pretty incredible and a lot of work and i'm really impressed by what they put together that ended up being uh I think it was seven performers and you basically drive to their house and watch them perform in their front yard or in their port on their porch or through the window things like that um, so we were trying to think of ways that we could do that that didn't involve quite so much of an invasion of privacy <laughs> um, and so we could open up um, to the general public in Portland and also keep like you said keep that community I- idea going we wanted to be able to meet up with everyone In a similar way where we could all see each other, connect with each other, but not have to be on top of each other.
0: You have another job title as well, which is tarot card reader. Is that accurate and is that something you can practice by phone or do you have to be unsocially distanced in order to properly read the tarot?
2: No, I can do that wherever. That's pretty solid as long as I have a deck with me.
0: How often do you do it?
2: I do it... You know, I, I haven't done it too much lately, certainly because of this, but uh, I tend to do events and things like that when people need it. I've done private parties and I've done fundraisers and things like that. So I kind of keep it to myself and then bust it out when somebody needs someone to do that.
0: How are artists adapting to social distancing? Has you have been tracking this since the quarantine first went into effect?
2: It's fascinating. I, I've always believe that artists are innovators. I mean, innovation comes from artists, and you can find that in any industry. And this has been pretty, I would say, started out being pretty devastating. It's continuing to be pretty devastating. And watching, you know, the big theater venues and and dance venues become incredibly affected by COVID and and this quarantine uh, and social distancing, certainly. The artists themselves are, yeah, they are adaptable. I mean, we've watched artists who work in a live arts medium have to transition to digital, which is not a platform that they have ever usually. I mean, sometimes, yes, there there are crossover and there are certainly artists in town that work in the digital sphere, but not a lot of them. And watching them have to decide if they want to take that on if they want to do some Instagram live story of their living room dances or backyard or whatever. I mean, I'm seeing a lot of that. I'm seeing um, a lot of the big festivals go digital, which has been fascinating. Uh, and then there's a whole slew of artists who say, you know, this is too much. I need to reconsider what I'm doing. I think we're, we're in danger of losing some incredible creators who just aren't finding it possible to maintain an artistic practice under the current circumstances, because money is such an issue.
0: What have been the challenges of putting on this show? In addition to money, what have been the hard parts?
2: Uh, It's honestly not, it's been pretty solid. (laughs) It hasn't been too difficult. I I think, um, you know, not being able to be in the same room planning is difficult, but zoom and things like that make it quite a bit easier Uh, And I am curious about how this weekend will go in terms of just making sure we have all the tech in place. I'm used to performing or uh, producing performances in uh, a venue of some sort and having access to power and access to Internet and uh, all of the speakers and lighting and all of that equipment that seems you know so easy when you're in a space (laughs) so performing in a parking lot we're really having to get creative on how we use a generator and and whether we can offer wi-fi you know things like that
0: why is live performance so important for artists and audiences why isn't it just enough to have netflix
2: oh mm, good question (laughs) i it's it's kind of a lifeblood for some people i think it's that connection between audience and artist, and the energy that is uh, transferred back and forth that you just can't get when you're watching something static like Netflix. I mean, I don't, I don't feel, I have certainly watched TV shows and movies that make me feel engaged, but I don't feel that transfer of energy in the same way. I mean, my partner and I just watched Hamilton last weekend when it came out and, and that was amazing and it's beautiful and the costumes and it's a cool to see that so close up but it's nothing like seeing it in person and feeling the like full body goosebumps when something dramatic happens and I for me it's it's not the same as being able to engage directly with an artist while I'm watching
0: how can listeners find out more about pavement about risk reward how do you want folks to engage
2: It would be great if, um, you know, I think that we're almost sold out of car spaces and we have some standing and seating spaces available, um, which are going to be, of course, socially distanced and masks required if you're outside of a closed vehicle uh, and and chairs encouraged So you could bring camping chairs and things like that. And I I know we still have some of those spaces available. If you go to riskreward.org, it's R-A-S-K hyphen, r-e-w-a-r-d dot o-r-g you can find more information uh, from both me and then um you could also go to boomarts.org boomarts is our other partner uh who's an uh, incredible usually international uh presenting organization in town and they've partnered and they've been amazing so they're b-o-o-m-a-r-t-s.org
0: is there a short Phrase to describe this kind of artistic performance in cars with performance artists, etc. How do you, in just a short way, like tell somebody at a party?
2: We're calling it parking lot drive in performance.
0: Parking lot drive in performance coming at you Saturday. Thank you so much, Katie Watkins, for everything you do in our community. And thank you for being with us this
2: morning. Absolutely. Thank you.
3: Up next, we have a segment from our recent interview with Corey Glover of Living Color. Cervante Pope picks his brain about his new group and how they're navigating this world in his current state.
1: Because I yeah. go and cover metal shows all the time where I used to when we were allowed to.
3: And right. there's
1: just such a, you know, um, I definitely notice the way that I'm treated, the way that I'm looked at and things like that for being in that type of space, right. looking the way that I am. How has that been for you throughout all of these years going into the these you know heavily white dominated spaces and you know making music that's typically or i guess is in a white dominated genre you, you know, know like what has that been like for you
3: it, all my life i've been in different spaces with different types of people and being in rock and roll for as long as i have been i feel this i'm making myself feel really old right now um but For folks like you and I, the code switch is real. Mm -hmm. You know, the code switch to speak in a language that some folks can understand and other folks can't (laughs) is real, is a Mm -hmm. real thing. And I know, you know, I know, you know that when somebody says something about Slayer, or about going to a concert and you can tell by a few clues who they're talking about or what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. You have to really be cognizant of it. You have to be more cognizant of who and what you are and where you are more than anybody else in that room. Right. You're at a Testament (laughs) concert. You're at a Testament show and in a sea of white faces. So, you know, you are on blast at that particular point. But you're enjoying it just like everybody else is. But see, the thing is, is because you're there, most people's understanding of who you are, is that, is not particularly always right. It's never right, you know. Because I like Pantera as much as I like Luther Vandros. I don't see the difference personally. I'm, I'm, I enjoy both. You know, I will listen as much to you know, hip-hop as I will to metal music. And don't see the difference because it's all expression to me. It's a, it's a particular kind of expression at some certain points in time. I am often find that the opposite isn't true for my other friends. They may be into hip-hop, but they're not into hip-hop the way I'm into hip-hop. But they're into Megadeth as much as I'm into Megadeth, but not into Fishbone as much as I'm into Fishbone. And don't understand the difference or the similarities to the two. So you have to that's a it's a weird world it's a weird world to circumnavigate. That's all I got to say. I
1: mean that's how weird, do you do that's it? real <laughs> I right. I mean I it's it's rough, you know, especially because or you know, when I used to be able to go to shows out here, knowing that Portland in general Where
3: are you exactly such, by the way?
1: I'm in Portland, Oregon.
3: <laughs> okay. All right.
1: Yeah. So, you know, going to, to metal shows out here or, and like rock shows and stuff, it's, I already am just alienated in general out here. Normally right. wh- when I go to sp- places, you know, just cause that's, that's, that's just a demographics of Portland, but right. being in show spaces specifically, it's like, I feel like I have to pay or I have to do even more research about like the background of certain bands and who they might be friends with or affiliated mm-hmm. with just in case, you know, I don't know what types of fans are going to be showing up there. Right. And it's, it's really draining for me, especially because I've, I mean, this is the kind of music that I listen to predominantly and I have ever since I was a kid. And yeah, right. I, I go back and forth between hip hop and R and B and right, you know, classics and all all that sort of stuff. Like I'm very dynamic in that sense. But it seems that when you're a black person that listens to anything that isn't just stereotypically black music, mm. then you're like labeled as that. Like, oh, Cervante, you're the metalhead. It's like, well, yeah, I
3: sure, but that's not exclusively know, what so, you are. You're not exactly. exclusively a metalhead. You know, I like. Because I've, I've I've taken stuff out of the mainstream, and what most most people well, most, what most people will will get into with you, on either side, whether black or white, is mm-hmm. there's something something had to have happened. Like you had to have been just hanging out with white folks your whole life. No, mm-hmm. you know, not. I, I don't know if you know, my parents happen to be black, so not all the time. <laughs> so no, that's not it. Or for a long time, it was you must not want to understand who you are. I can't help but who I am. I can't help but be this kid from Crown Heights, Brooklyn. Right? I can't. Mm -hmm. I can't help that the music that I listened to, that I wasn't relegated to one spot on the radio dock. Late at night when I'm flipping around and I caught a radio station that was playing, you know, Bad Brains, I stopped and I listened because that Mm -hmm. drove it, it, it got my attention. You know? It's the same thing with when i got to a hip-hop station same thing when i got to a pop station i'm not relegated to any of that stuff and you do me a disservice by thinking that i'm just this one thing but what we're finding out now is that there are we are a multitude and despite what you what you may think as a black person or a white person there's a lot more to you than just the surface just what you see that you know that POD t-shirt is not my, who who I am and who I'll always be. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the dark eyeliner is not just, is not all, all I am.
1: How do you feel, uh, this is like going to be such a big kind of broad question, but how do you feel about everything that's going on outside of the pandemic? You know what I mean? As far as, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <that> was, <laughs> I know, that, I'm so sorry. I'm just like that was, throwing that, that was, at you.
3: That was real sort of like, that was code. That was real lot code. So, what do you think about what's going on with black people? I get it; it's fine. <laughs> um, I think it's it's the movement is necessar- necessity is a necessity. Mm-hmm. You know, we go through these these situations periodically. We went through it when in Fer- when when it went down Ferguson and Eric Gardner. We went into it when it was Tamir Rice. We went into it when it was Trayvon Martin this is not a it's not new what I think is different now is that you cannot with all that we have in our it, it, it that we can see that it's tactile you can't think that what we are what we're saying is bullish. I'm sorry I said said that but didn't get you in the no FCC problem I'm not tripping <laughs> <laughs> you can bleep that dish out I don't care um <laughs> but that we are what we say we are and it's, I said this, I've said this on many occasions, but it's a difficult conversation on its way, a very difficult conversation that some folks are not willing to have, but it's a necessity to have in order for there to be some sort of change. You want, you want there to be peace and quiet of some kind? Deal with the problems that you have in, your, in front of you. And if you can't deal with it, it's only going to persist.
1: Right. How have you talked to, and I'm sorry if this is like uber personal, but how have you talked to your kids about what's going on?
3: My kids are pretty well aware of what's going on. Um, Mm -hmm. And they understand that this world is not going to be, has not been fair to to those folks that look like them. And unfortunately, my children learned this lesson earlier on when they were in elementary school when they were in second grade and they were in a classroom full of white kids and they, and they were being ostracized and they didn't understand why they were being ostracized and it frustrated them and angered them and that the system didn't do anything to help, help him that if not for his parents they wouldn't understand what was going on that the reason why these kids are doing what they're doing to you is because of who you are and what you look like but you're much better than that and you and at some point the tables will turn so just be prepared for that
1: do you think that they might turn
3: soon i think they'll return they'll change incrementally and they have been changing incrementally this at this particular point in time in history we have a really big opportunity to really 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 change it but like i said it's a difficult conversation to have, and some folks don't want to have that conversation. Some people don't want to know what that means, what Black Lives Matter means. They just want to take what's on the surface, just like seeing you as the metalhead. head. You're not just the metalhead. It's a difficult conversation for you to understand what that phrase means, what that, what this movement means, that it's not a sentence. It's a book that you have to read, and you have to understand, not just read it, not just pay it lip service, not just go to a march and say it, but believe it and make a substantive change within it.
1: How do you feel about what John, um, from System of a Down, the drummer, what he's said about the Black Lives Matter movement? And have you had to, like, have uncomfortable conversations like that with, like, maybe not your present bandmates, but with people you've played with before?
3: Not, not yet. I... I, I, I'm, I'm well aware that I'm going to have to. I, I, I know that there are people in bands that I've been in and bands that I'm in right now that don't understand what this, what this is all about. Some of them do. And you have to, they have to, it's, again, it's going to be tough to, to have this conversation. It's going to be tough for them to see it. Because they'll look at me and say, well, you're not dealing with it. You don't know that. You don't know what it's like to have a state trooper behind you and your heart starts pounding. Doing nothing wrong, obeying the speed limit, or to walk into a store and watch people watch you. You don't know what that's like. You've never had to deal with it. You never will have to deal with it. I do. You know, the record stop moment when you, you're in a certain space and all eyes are on you is a difficult one. And it's not because I'm that guy who did that song, who wore those clothes, who did that thing, but simply for the color of my skin. I'm not an exception in any of it. And it's going to be a large, encompassing, constant conversation that has to be had. And no matter how fatigued you get from it, you've got to keep doing it. You've got to keep having this conversation. For those just tuning in, that was a segment from Cervante Pope's interview with Corey Glover. Stay tuned for the full interview on the expansion. A new exploration of the Black Music Experience debuting Sundays at 4 p.m. right here on The Numbers this fall.
0: Thanks to Katie, Cervante, and Corey for joining The Local. And thank you for listening to The Local, your hometown, in about 30 minutes. Thank you for subscribing and giving a five-star review. And thank you, Democracy. Talk to you tomorrow. X-Ray.